Welcome to the sixth installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's audio magazine podcast. Ear to the Ground features interviews, reviews, and field reports related to sustainable agriculture, family farming, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm your host, Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. This Ear to the Ground will provide a peek into one of the most successful beginning farmer programs in the country. During the past nine years, the Land Stewardship Project's Farm Beginnings Program has provided participants from throughout the Upper Midwest an opportunity to learn firsthand about low-cost, sustainable methods of farming. Since it was launched in southeast Minnesota in the late 1990s, over 200 people have completed the Farm Beginnings course, and 60% of those graduates are farming today. During the fall of 2005, the program was expanded into Illinois, Missouri, and Nebraska. Getting started in farming today is a daunting task, and like any independent business, the failure rate can be quite high. So why are graduates of the Farm Beginnings program having relatively good success out on the land? At the core of the program is the idea that farmers are the best teachers. Farmers help create the program's curriculum, and farmers lead the class sessions. There are also opportunities to connect with established farmers through farm visits and one-on-one mentorships. Farm Beginnings is also based on the idea that planning, goal-setting, and monitoring must be at the center of any farming enterprise. Students take part in a course that teaches goal-setting, financial planning, business plan creation, alternative marketing, and innovative farming techniques. Holistic management, a concept developed by Alan Savory of the Savory Center in New Mexico, has also had a major influence on the Farm Beginnings curriculum. Holistic management helps farmers and ranchers develop a three-part goal, that lets them manage their operation as a whole rather than as a series of unconnected enterprises. Holistic management ties in a farm's ecological health with its economic success and ability to offer a good quality of life for a family. Let's listen in on a recent Farm Beginnings class session where Western Minnesota beef producer Terry Vanderpool talks about how to get started in planning and goal setting for a well-rounded farming operation that takes the big picture into consideration. Too often, as, as, as farmers, I think we make, make decisions on the basis of what we've always done, or the way it's always been done, or what our neighbors do, mm-hmm. or what our banker thinks that we should do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know, I know, I know guys who call up the who call up the elevator that that sells the chemicals for their crops and says, "How much of your product should I put on my ground this year?" Which, which in my mind, is a little like asking your bartender if it's time to quit drinking. Um, because I mean, I, I, and that, that that may be taken as an anti-chemical statement. Maybe to some extent it is, but it, That's all right. even even if you think that there is a place in agriculture for, for you know we're not we're not all we're, no, we're not all organic farmers. That's fine. But even if you think that there is a place for chemicals, you're the one who, you're the one who needs to understand how they're used on, on on your farm, where they're needed, where they're not needed. Um, and you need to be thinking that in terms of certainly economics, the human community, and the ecosystem, not in terms of how much the Monsanto representative or whoever wants to sell you. That, that is your decision. There are plenty of resources out there to help you figure that out. But in terms of the life that you want to lead and the ecosystem that you want to develop, that's your decision and that's what you need to figure out. <coughs> Or even worse, sometimes we look at, at the government programs that decide what to plant and what not to plant, um, what to do and what not to do. 
all the people in in your sort of your whole under management need to be part of that decision making process. Every decision we make can either move us closer to our stated goal, closer to our desired quality of life, or further away from it. And that's where it becomes critical for us to continually go back to it. And then I go back to this quote again, because if we're not... When you're actually doing the work of farming, you find yourself... You find yourself thinking on your feet a lot. You find yourself planning behind the wheel of your truck or, be, or as you're doing tractor work trying to figure out what you're going to do with, with this, that, or the other thing next year. Um, Jotting a lot of, you know, just thinking on the fly. Problems come up and they need to be, be dealt with. Very often you get up in the morning and go out to start doing what you thought you were going to be doing that day and an invasion of pests or um, or a cow that, is, that has difficulty calving or whatever it is throws your day completely into a tailspin and you're not doing any of what you plan to do. And if you don't check back with your goals, with what you said, you and your family said you wanted to accomplish by starting this farming enterprise in the first place, if you don't check back on that on a regular basis, you will find all of those circumstances <coughs> taking you off into whatever direction they want to take you off into. And, 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 and you'll find the thing out of control. That's what, what Jim means when he says if you're not clear and purposeful, farming or any other enterprise will, will eat you up. It'll just take you for a ride. So checking back with that goal, checking back with how you want... Whoop, <laughs> that won't work. Checking back with, with, with how you want your farming operation to fit into that human community, into econ- it, it, uh, how, you, how you want it to produce economically, and how you want to uh, how you want the ecosystem, the resource base of your farm to be, is extremely important. Revisit it with the people that you set the goals with. Whether it's once a month or every couple of weeks, sit down and take a look, you know take it out and take a, take take out your goals, your things you've written about it, and take a look at it at it again and talk about it. Maybe some things need to change, maybe not, but it's some it, it is part of the. Uh, it's an important part of the management process that you not get carried away by circumstances because no matter what, there's a lot of different ideas for different types of farms out there. And I was, um, when, when you were talking, it, 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 it sounds like what you're trying to set up is, is extremely complex. Uh, but when managing dairy heifers can be extremely complex too. <laughs> uh, or even even more dramatically, hogs. It's a, it's a heck of a deal trying to manage animals that are smarter than you are. <laughs> Which is the case with hogs. Not there yet. I ain't there yet. But. Sometimes it seems they know me better than I know myself. So what we're talking about is create is is. Uh, is constantly staying in touch with our goal by having our planning process be a dynamic process. We don't just plan and put the plan in a three-ring binder and put it up on the shelf and say, there, that's done. Because we are, we are working, we're working with a dynamic ecosystem that changes. The weather from one year to the next is, is, is going to change. The needs of your customer is, customers are going to change. When I started marketing my beef, um, 
about four or five years ago, most of what I sold were, were the, was the, most of what my customers wanted was the extremely high value part of the animals. They wanted the rib steaks, they wanted the tenderloin, the filet mignon, they wanted all of that stuff. Now, about, um, I've, I've, I've begun to purchase cull cows because most of, most of what my, my uh, customers want at this point is ground beef. That's dramatic. You know, that that's been an external influence that has dramatically changed my operation. So I mean, here I am. I'm making decisions. We fall calf in, in in my operation for uh, for a number of reasons. Um, so I'm making decisions now about which heifers I'd like to hold back uh, and and breed as cows, so that I have the number of calves, uh, so that I have the number of steers that I need to sell to my customers in 2008. If, if I'm not paying attention, you know, if I'm not really paying attention to what my farm, what, to what my customers want, I'm not going to be, not be able to hit it on the nose anyway, but I'm not going to be in the ballpark with the way that I plan for that operation. So planning, planning on any farming operation is very dynamic and we continually monitor those plans. I don't understand what that means. Assume wrong. If you're assume you're wrong. You're, it's so complicated what you guys are trying to do. I mean, assume you're wrong. <laughs> and I don't mean that to put anybody down because I, you're, you're all very smart people and you're, you're certainly able to go out there and get a lot of information. But it is so complicated what it means when you assume you're wrong or you assume there's a good possibility that you're wrong. I mean, what are some what are some of the dynamics of making that assumption? Um, you leave a trail of breadcrumbs so you can find your way out. You don't make huge changes with huge with huge huge investments until you've tried it out on a smaller basis and you're pretty sure that you're you've got it figured out and you can move forward with this thing. So maybe if you've never dealt with beef cows before, you start with five or six of them instead of a hundred thousand dollars worth of them. That's that's what was meant by assume you're wrong. There are so many dynamics um, that you want to you want to be conservative in the assumptions that you make, so that you can you can find it. the the first characteristic of intelligent tinkering is to make sure is to always make sure you save all the parts. It's that kind of attitude. <laughs> that, that you just assume that you might have to run back on yourself, so don't get yourself too committed until you've got some direct experience on, under your belt, which you will very quickly get. So you plan, you monitor that plan. Um, by monitoring the plan, by monitoring the plan, you, you what we mean is you think, you think, 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 and talk to people. What are the indicators that my, that that what? that the assumptions that I've made in making this plan are right. You know, what are what what are the indicators out there that I'm on the right track or indicators that I'm that I'm on the wrong track? Uh, going back to my uh, to my beef selling operation, well, if, if I'm constantly running out of ground beef, I'm obviously on the wrong track. Or or if I'm constantly um, if I'm constantly selling New York strip steaks to, to my partner and myself and my family at greatly reduced prices because they've been laying in the freezer too long, I'm obviously on the wrong track. So I don't wait until um, I don't wait until I do my taxes at the end of the year to figure out I need to I need to make some adjustments here. I need to I need to get more ground beef animals and fewer of the higher quality animals that I'm taking the steaks and the tenderloin off of. 
So, so you monitor the earliest indicators so that you can make the changes as quickly as possible before they have a dramatic impact on, on your land, on your land base, or on your family, or on your bank account. So, so you, 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 you look for the earliest, very earliest indicators that indicate either I'm right or I'm wrong. Then you control or adjust your plan of uh, whatever has to be done. I mean, is there a problem that needs to be solved right now? Then you feed that information into replanning. So it's a constant, a constant, constant process. And one of the things, I mean, I, I've said before I, that I really enjoy um, working with livestock. There are various aspects of my farm that I, that I do very, very much enjoy. But this is a part of it that is, I mean, I've, I've worked a lot of different jobs. I've done a lot of things, but nothing challenges me mentally like farming does. Nothing engages me so totally mentally where it's the kind of thing where I can look up at the clock, you know, I'm sitting at the dining room table planning things out and I've got the calculator and records from the last five years and I'm doing this and all of a sudden I look up and realize it's midnight, one o'clock in the morning and I should have been in, been in bed three or four hours ago. That's the kind of engagement, um, that's the kind of engagement that I think is, is, is so important. This is another way of kind of diagramming the same thing that I, that I had up here early. Step one is goal setting. And we've been talking about developing that holistic goal that starts with an understanding of the ecosystem, that starts with an understanding of what our resource base is, who the people in our operation are, what they're capable of and what they're not capable of, what they like to do and what they don't like to do. You know, the fact that my partner loves to work and hates to plan. Um, I mean, you, you know, you need to understand that. Or you're going to be you're going to be running out, running up blind alleys. That, that, that's part of the goal setting, inventory, and assessment process. Then you develop the action plan, and that's where all of the people that some of you mentioned, the guys down at NRCS, older farmers, get to know the farmers in your, in your neighborhood. Uh, some of you who, who are talking about, about market gardening programs talk about being ma uh, master gardeners. There's a lot of information out there. There's a lot of information about more traditional farming enterprises. There's all kinds of information about, um, about whatever animal you want. And, and, and of course, with the internet, these things are getting easier and easier to find. That's where you, you, you get that information together and develop a plan, develop that action plan, and then you develop your monitoring plan, which is separate from the action plan. Then you, do, you, you, you write it down, where do I look for the earliest indication that I was right or that I was wrong? And you keep your eye on those things all of the, all of the time and use that information to feed back on developing your action plan. There may be there may be times there may be times when you use that to feed back on your inventory and assessment or your goal setting. You know, maybe you'll come to the conclusion that that, that this is just this is not this is not something that can be done. Um, this is not something that I'm, this is not something that I'm going to be able to achieve, achieve on this piece of land, for example. That's not necessarily where you start. I mean, I, I hope that's not where you start. But constantly feeding back on, on those action plans with information that you get from your monitoring process. Terry Vanderpool talk about the importance of not letting us become servants of our own tools of production reminded me of a book I recently read. 
The Triumph of Technique is a short work by Robert Wolfe that examines how the way we produce food, the techniques we use, have come to control agriculture, which is just the opposite of how it should be. Wolfe makes an argument for putting technique back in its proper place as a tool that serves our needs. Here I'd like to share the review I wrote of Wolfe's book in a recent issue of the Land Stewardship Letter. Technique is a god that rules all aspects of our lives, from what kind of food we eat, to the health care we receive, to the education our children receive. Technique is an idea that thrives on conformity, repetition, and centralized power. Our pork chops and tomatoes are produced a certain way, not because that's what consumers want, or what the land can produce sustainably, or even because farmers have determined that's the best way to do it. All of these factors are subservient to the invisible hand of technique, which predetermines that such food must be produced in a concentrated system that utilizes resources, animals, and humans as cheap inputs. In a world where technique has triumphed, people are mere technicians who exist to serve a master that won't tolerate chance, impulse, and all the other wonderful things that make up the human condition. It's not what you do, but how, and what cool tools you use in the process. It wasn't supposed to be this way, and that, writes Robert Wolfe in his sharp-tongued book Leak XA, The Triumph of Technique, The Industrialization of Agriculture, and the Destruction of Rural America, is the source of many problems in modern society. Wolfe writes, Technique began as a means to ease man's burden. Now man exists to sustain technique. Such insightful, diamond-hard phrases are sprinkled throughout this slim volume. They succinctly wrap up the author's various arguments, even when they tend to get more intricate than the typical reader might like. This is a book of philosophy that has everyday uses in rural America. As Wolf, an Iowa-based publisher, teacher, and writer who has worked in rural communities throughout the Midwest and South, points out, one could write about any manifestation of technique to point out its shortcomings. But he chose to focus on how it has impacted contemporary agriculture because, among other things, it produces something that all of us require to survive, food. Concerns about how humans have allowed technique to wag the dog of society are not new. Henry David Thoreau wrote eloquently about how humans have become, quote, tools of our tools over a century and a half ago. But Wolf's book uses current examples drawn from Midwestern agriculture to paint a picture of a world where technique has been absorbed into our very beings. The author focuses on two areas of agriculture in particular, the rise of industrialized large-scale livestock operations and how genetic engineering is coming to dominate crop production. Both are examples of how tools of agriculture transmuted into drivers of agriculture to the point where they can blind their practitioners to their faults. At first blush, buying a seed that has been genetically engineered to produce a plant resistant to being killed by a herbicide is a smart, labor-saving decision on the part of a farmer. It can reduce tillage, save soil, and cut down on fuel use significantly. When Roundup Ready Soybeans debuted in the 1990s, I talked to several no-till farmers who said it was the best tool to come their way in years. But GMO technology no longer knows its place. That's become evident in recent years as problems have popped up. The development of a herbicide-resistant superweed, contamination of organic crop fields, reduced yields, and even economic analyses showing that farmers who grow GMO crops may be worse off financially. That's not to mention the fact that the use of such technology has caused U.S. crops to be rejected by certain world markets. But the promoters of this technology refuse to see the blemishes. To them, it's an inevitable part of an overall strategy to modernize agriculture and make it more efficient. The critics be damned.
Raising livestock in large-scale concentrated animal feedlot operations has undergone a similar evolution to where it now drives everything from the genetics of livestock to how animals are slaughtered to land management, as well as local, state, and national politics. Express some doubts about the manure produced by a 3,000 cow dairy being proposed for your neighborhood, and you'll soon find yourself being characterized as an anti. Anti-livestock, anti-farming, anti-rural, anti-growth, anti-profit, anti-human being. That's how intertwined farming and rural America have become with something that started out as simply a production method. Technique has truly triumphed. Triumph of Technique concludes with some ideas for dethroning this artificial deity. Wolf briefly discusses the rise of local food systems as well as alternative business models and barter initiatives. These solutions fall under the tenet of decentralization and regionalism. Wolf feels decentralizing economic, political, and cultural power is the only way communities rooted in the land will thrive. Wolf is realistic. He knows that decentralization will only thrive when technique is reined in. When the kind of soybean a farmer plants is controlled by Monsanto's St. Louis headquarters, or what kind of hog is produced under what conditions is driven by political decisions made in Des Moines or D.C., there is no hope of putting technique in its proper place. How can technique be corralled? The author feels the key is for us to realize our limits. Critics of such ideas interpret that as a call for us all to eat raw food and start wearing gunny sacks. But in reality, knowing our limits has its roots in learning how to set goals and make decisions that take in the big picture. One form of this is holistic management, a method some farmers and ranchers use to set and attain goals. This decision-making model takes into account an operation's natural and human resources as well as its place in the community. And yes, it considers limitations as well. The bottom line is that technique is subservient to goals. I've seen the holistic management model and its cousin, whole farm management in action, and it can be a wonderful thing. It can help a farm family determine if a new tractor will truly help attain their goals, or if such a tool has become an end in itself. It can also help people adjust in mid-stride and figure out if the decisions they've made are still directing them toward their ultimate goals, something the mindless determinism of technique cannot do. What if the same decision-making model was used on millions of farms? Even better, in millions of communities. Now that would be a triumph worth tooting about. The review of Triumph of Technique appeared in the April-May-June 2005 issue of the Land Stewardship Letter. If you'd like to read it, go to www.landstewardshipproject.org, click on the newsroom, and follow the links to the Land Stewardship Letter page. That's landstewardshipproject.org. Go to the newsroom and follow the links to the Land Stewardship Letter page. For details on how to obtain Wolf's book, see www.freeriverpress.org. That's www.freeriverpress.org. If you'd like to learn more about Farm Beginnings, go to www.landstewardshipproject.org backslash programs underscore farmbeginnings.html. That's landstewardshipproject.org backslash programs underscore farmbeginnings.html. We will be featuring more on Farm Beginnings in future editions of Ear to the Ground. For more on holistic management, see www.holisticmanagement.org. That's www.holisticmanagement.org.
O-R-G, and Holistic is spelled H-O-L-I-S-T-I-C. This podcast is a new endeavor for the Land Stewardship Project, and we'd like to hear from you. You can send your comments, criticisms, and suggestions to me, Brian DeVore, at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org. You can also get me on the horn at 612-729-6294. A special thank you goes out to Laura Borgendale, a Western Minnesota musician and LSP staffer who provided Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a very special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member and would like to support us, go to landstewardshipproject.org to learn how to join LSP. Thanks for listening.